0: Podcast, podcast where we share things of interest to us and hopefully to you. So
1: let's get started with episode number 63. <music> this week it's Terry's turn to share something that she's found interesting. What have you got for us today, Terry?
0: So, Daisy, I went back to a podcast that is fairly new to me, but has tons of episodes that I could catch up on. And this is from the Jordan Harbinger Show. And the guest's name is John Acuff. And it's called The Surprising Solution to Overthinking. Oh. <laughs> so, why did you pick this one? No, you won't know why I'm laughing
1: yet. But yes, it's kind of for that. But the one I'm going to be bringing next week, it's not the same guy, but it is the same subject. So this will be really interesting.
0: <laughs> oh, good. So John Acuff... Uh, His bio includes that he's a New York Times bestseller author of six books. His books are titled Finish, Do-Over, Start, Quitter, and now Soundtracks with the subtitle, The Surprising Solution to Overthinking. Hmm. So the talk is just, again, people will notice a pattern with this, but I like to listen to the ones that I enjoy the Kind of chemistry between the two people. Mm. And Jordan Harbinger show, one of the things I really like about the episodes that I have listened to so far is that he seems to really enjoy the conversations mm. and his guests seem to really enjoy the conversations. It doesn't just feel like they're selling a book or something. And
1: there's a big difference. You can really pick up on that different vibe, can't you? Yeah, mm.
0: absolutely. So, The way he kind of frames up something about overthinking is he uses the term soundtrack. So I want to explain a little bit about that and then just kind of go into some ways to work with this that I think are just very practical things that all of us can do. And one of the things he said about overthinking is sometimes people label that as, you know, I'm such an overthinker. I always tend to overthink. And he said the reality is most people overthink even highly successful people, overthink. And he said that 2020 was catnip for overthinking (laughs) because all we had was time to overthink everything. John Acuff's definition really is that overthinking is when what you think gets in the way of what you want. And he described it then that overthinking, we tend to have like a soundtrack playing in our mind. And it's a thought that we play over and over again. So if you think about the soundtrack to a podcast or to a show or something, just this repetitive thought plays over and over and affects your decisions and what you do much more than we even think that it does. And to use the example of the power of a soundtrack, if you saw someone walking into a brightly lit room and there was really pleasant music playing, upbeat, you'd think, oh, this is going to be a romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a fun show. Mm-hmm. Or if that same scene was playing, but there was ominous, dark music, you'd be like, no, don't walk in there. There's going to be some something bad happening. So the soundtrack really affects the scene and and what we do about it.
1: That's so funny. I don't know if you saw that video I posted. I think it was in my lovelies group. And it was, and I don't recognize the film, but it's some kind of sort of kung fu or martial arts type film. And they're clearly getting ready to have a fight and they're kind of removing some clothing and all the rest of it. And they've changed the soundtrack to a seductive type of music <laughs> and it completely changes the way you look at the images you're looking at. It's Absolutely. really funny. Yeah. It's dramatically so. Yeah.
0: And so I, I think that's a great analogy that he's chosen and I did not read the book yet. So I just think it's an interesting though to think about it. We have a soundtrack playing mm. And then clearly, it's one that we can choose. And so he talks about curating your soundtrack, choosing it rather than just letting whatever soundtrack that's naturally queued up play. And some observations he made that you and I have talked about this before just about positive thinking, negative thinking, catastrophizing is that overthinking, it's always about negative thoughts. No one overthinks compliments or positive Mm, things. Like no mom ever says, you know, my son's doing that because I am the best mom there ever was. But you hear many moms think, oh my gosh, is my son doing that? Like, am I really that bad of a mom? Did I really ruin him? You know, it's all of this negative thinking, this overthinking. And so curating... Your soundtrack to be a more positive one. And another quote that he said in this part of the podcast that I just really liked is that fear comes free and hope requires effort. So choosing your soundtrack rather than letting one choose you. Overthinking robs us of time and the motivation and ability to move forward. Mm -hmm. And he used an example of someone who is a successful person, but every time a certain thing happens at work, they spend time thinking about what does this mean? Does this mean my boss is mad at me? Does this mean I'm going to lose my job? And so the 20 minutes they waste overthinking that, they've missed out on opportunities that they could have been focusing on something else. They could have been doing something productive
1: And where does overthinking become rumination? Because they sound very similar, don't they?
0: My sense is at some level for a lot of us, they're just a different connotation. So we Mm. label things differently. If we say I'm overthinking, it sounds productive. It sounds still like a problem, but I'm doing it for good reason. Or whereas if we say I'm ruminating, we know that is going Mm. nowhere positive. So my sense is they're pretty similar. So... Throughout the interview, they, they talked about this several times, and you and I have talked about this before, the sense that our brain looks for evidence for what it already believes. Hmm. And so from our past experiences, we've already made some meaning, we've made some truths that we now carry with us, and then we look for evidence to prove that that is right. Our brain actually prefers to continue believing what it already believes. And this obviously gets us into difficult places.
1: That's where other people have spoken about that, haven't they, where you you kind of priming it to look for things. Was it Jim Quick who talked about the pug Mm -hmm. or was that somebody else where his sister kept sending him messages um, Mm -hmm. with cute pictures of pugs and it turns out that's what she wanted for a birthday or something, Mm -hmm. but he'd never noticed pugs before, but as soon as they were on his mind, he was seeing them everywhere.
0: Mm Let's think of an example. Someone tells you they're going to do something and they don't do it. If you take a meaning from that, that people cannot be trusted, the next time someone tells you, hey, I'm going to do this, you're going to already be expecting, no, they're not. Mm. If you're still using that old, he calls these broken soundtracks, these negative Mm. ones. So if that next person fails in some way, you say, see, I knew it. People always disappoint you. People never do what they say. He described it as, you know, we overgeneralize and apply what we've experienced to new experiences. And he says, it's kind of like we're setting bear traps. And the moment someone even Hmm. slightly, you know, brushes up against it, we latch on as evidence for one of these negative thoughts that we already hold as true. And so again, the brain is looking for confirmation of what it already believes. He talked about one thing that might be helpful for people to do is to discover what their soundtracks are. what are the soundtracks that they're playing that are problematic, or again, he refers to these as broken soundtracks they they don't go where we want them to go mm. so one thing he gave is an example to do is you could write down something you want to do. So let's say you want to start a podcast. You want to write a book. You want to exercise more. What are the thoughts that come up? What messages do you start saying right away? And that's usually your broken soundtracks. So as soon as you say, let's say someone says, I want to start a podcast. If the first thing you says is I can't possibly do a podcast. I'm not smart enough to do a podcast. I don't have the technical ability to do a whatever that is. So that starts to let you or help you understand what your broken soundtracks are. And then he encourages people to really look through or think about three questions about the soundtrack, whether this is one they should keep or one they should get rid of and replace. Is it true? Is it helpful? And is it kind? So the true one is kind of complicated because, again, we have a bias That we look for evidence for something that we've already experienced, and it's usually something negative. So that one, we often might have to not just rely on our own brain to decipher whether it's true, but run it past someone, Mm. run it past a trusted confidant, someone else from a little bit outside the situation who could say, hmm, that's actually not what I hear that person meant. Have you thought about this? to help us really decipher whether it's true. Is it helpful is really important because it might be true, but is it a soundtrack that's going to help you take action and move forward? Or does it keep you stuck? And so that question is really important. And then the third one, you know, is it kind or is it just being critical of yourself or kind of harmful? So in their conversations, they were using an example of working on flipping the soundtrack from a broken one to a good one is the goal. So understanding what messages we're giving ourselves and flipping it into something more positive. And in this conversation, they use an example of Moby, who is a performer, and I never followed his music. So I was never a fan of Moby. But I guess when he was very popular on the charts or very successful, he was also very heavily drinking and talked about he would drink 300 to 400 drinks a month. So Mm. he was drinking quite a bit. Mm. And he was at a club one night and he kept seeing, he saw people going into a room that was just, they would just kind of vanish on a wall. So he thought, Oh, that's a secret door. And in his life experience, He was a nerdy guy who didn't get invited to things, got left out of things. And so he got kind of indignant when he saw this. And he thought, there's a secret room and they're not inviting me in. they're not letting me in. (laughs) So he barged into this room and they said, hey, you can't be in here. And he said, do you know who I am? And they're like, yes, Moby. But we're counting credit card receipts right now, (laughs) and you can't be in here. (laughs) And so it was just a funny story. But the reality is he was playing out this broken soundtrack of I'm the nerdy guy who people exclude. Mm -hmm. And so he was trying to break it and barge in there, when in reality they knew who he was and it didn't matter because he didn't belong in the business office while they were (laughs) counting those receipts. So... This is an example of needing to not over-apply our broken soundtracks and learning to find better ones. So one of the questions or thoughts I think that Jordan then asked is, okay, well, how do we know if we're overthinking something? Or are we preparing ourselves? Are we using it for good so that we're prepared for something? And John Acuff's answer was basically overthinking leads to more overthinking. And you just kind of perseverate and you stay stuck versus if your soundtrack is really moving you toward preparedness, you take action, you take steps to move forward. So that's one way to assess, am I still playing out a broken record by overthinking because that's just going to lead to more overplaying it? Or am I actually moving forward? Also, Does the soundtrack or thought leave you feeling inadequate and drained or driven to action? Because if it leaves you driven to action, that's a great soundtrack. Mm. That's helpful. That's motivating.
1: Productive thinking. Mm -hmm.
0: He also talked about something he called flashbulb memories. And after I share this example, I want to clarify that I don't mean everyone should take every situation this way. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. But he said, you know, it's a big or a dramatic moment that the brain retells in ways that aren't true. Hmm. So for example, your brain will distort a story and tell it differently because we keep kind of telling it or reliving it. And each time it gets a little more distorted. And the fact that our brain can easily confuse fake trauma with real trauma And he used the example of Brian Williams, who was a broadcaster here who I loved and ended up, and there may have been other incidents as well. But one of the big reasons he wound up no longer being a big broadcaster is because he told a story that didn't actually happen. Basically, he told a story that he had been involved in like a terrorist attack or, you know, he was under fire when actually he never experienced that. And they kind of joked about it a little and said, well, you know, I think we know whether that's true or not. But John Acuff talked about even research that shows this, that sometimes part of that experience may have happened, but we retell it so often that we start to think it happened differently and we believe that it's true. And They've done research with people who maybe experienced something and at that moment wrote down the experience and then years later retold it completely differently. And if you gave them back what they wrote, they said, well, I don't know why I was lying then because this is what really happened, Mm. that our brain actually can change the story on us. And we believe that it's true. We don't believe that we're making up new information. So the reason I, again, kind of hedged with that is I don't want to mean that when people report trauma, that it's always fake trauma. I really want to be clear about that. But I also want to emphasize that our brain does have the ability to distort information for us. And we need to be careful about that so that we don't use these flashbulb memories in a way that hold us back from healthy movement forward.
1: And of course, it's Every memory is going to be distorted to a degree, isn't it? Because Mm -hmm. it's subjective. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
0: He also used a phrase of pulling that thread. Let's say, for example, something negative happens. He used an example at work. Ted got the promotion and you didn't get the promotion. And you say, well, I hate Ted. Well, there's something behind that. And so if you kind of pull that thread, you're going to figure out what, what the broken soundtrack is behind that. Good work doesn't pay off. You know, certain people always get the benefit and I never do. There's something underneath it, but oftentimes we just stop on the first level of thought and don't get to what is the actual soundtrack that's getting us into trouble. Another big message that John Acuff talked about in this is that thoughts happen either by choice or by chance. And if you choose and give yourself permission then you can really figure out the how of making that next step happen. But oftentimes, we leave a lot of thoughts to chance, and then we feel limited by them. We don't feel able to come up with the how and why, or the how to achieve what we want to achieve. So the more we can make our soundtracks, our thoughts, by choice rather than by chance, because again, by chance, they're going to be more distorted. They're going to be, you know, part of that confirmation bias. I'm going to backtrack a little bit here. Sorry, the way I took notes, it was from later in the interview, but it ties back to an earlier point and something you and I already mentioned. But the question of whether something is true, whether our soundtrack or our thought is true, there will always be evidence and we have to look for it. But sometimes it can be challenging to decipher, is it actually true or are we assuming it's true? And again, with the confirmation bias, we will invent evidence to confirm our distortions. When I was growing up, I used to say that my brother was the favorite child in our family because he was the only son. And I could think of a hundred examples that would be evidence that he was (laughs) the favorite one. But my guess is if you asked him, he wouldn't have that same answer because we were both looking for different evidence to tell us what was true and what wasn't. And so again, this is why it's helpful to run it past other people if you can, check it to make sure if there are other ways to see it. And he also then talked about, in reference to this true piece, he talked about the advice that people often follow of fake it till you make it. And I remember I used to say this a lot to people early on in my career as a therapist, hoping that if people could start acting as if something was true, that they would look for that evidence rather than the more negative evidence. But one of the things he talked about, he talked with the son of Zig Ziglar, who was a big motivational writer and speaker, Mm -hmm. and asked him, do you believe in this fake it till you make it? And he said, no, I actually don't. Because fake it till you make it sets up cognitive dissonance, where what you're telling yourself doesn't actually fit what you believe. And so they use this example, and you and I talk a lot in other areas around dietary things and weight loss. And so let's say someone wants to lose weight. And if they say, in this effort to fake it till they make it, I'm at the perfect weight. And this is exactly how I want my body to be. They're creating a cognitive dissonance that won't help move them toward taking steps to change it versus if they were saying, make it more of a progress statement like, I'm in the process of changing my body to be the healthiest weight. That way you're moving forward, but you're not creating that cognitive dissonance that I'm not there yet, so it's not true. Mm. I hope that makes sense.
1: No, absolutely, because there's a huge difference between those two statements. Mm-hmm. You know, straight away, your, well, my mind anyway, would be rebelling against the first statement because, yeah, that's not true. Mm-hmm. I know it's not true. and Yeah, you're telling me to fake it till I make it, but it's just, it's not true. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other one, even though you might not always feel like that's true, you can see that you could take some kind of element from that. And you can see yourself as, as this being true that you're on this journey, mm-hmm. you're on this movement forward. Mm-hmm. That feels like something that you can absolutely buy into mm-hmm. straight away, rather than trying to, or trying to do something that you just know is is not mm-hmm. true.
0: And which one drives change behavior Mm. if I say my body's perfect right now or I've already reached my goal why would I change any of my behavior Mm -hmm. but if I say I'm making progress toward this then there's lots of room for me to work on changing behavior to be congruent with that statement
1: yeah it's great because it doesn't set up any kind of negative Uh either does it there's the implication isn't there that where you're at now is a negative, is something you don't want to be Mm -hmm. because you're having to fake something that is what you want, that is very different from where you are. Mm -hmm. Whereas the whole progress, there's nothing negative in where you're at now, Mm -hmm. even if it's not where you want to be.
0: Absolutely. So he also talked about some ways to create soundtracks and ways to kind of curate your soundtracks. And one thing he talked about is Creating a new soundtrack by connecting it to a symbol, an icon, something that you can tangibly connect with that positive soundtrack. And he used the example of the Nike swoosh. That is not just a signal that we all or a symbol that we all recognize now. It, it's connected to their just do it, mm. that motivation, that soundtrack that you hear. And so this is one way that we can strengthen our soundtracks. He also talked about rather than sitting down after you listen to this podcast and trying to create your soundtrack, like blank sheet of paper, go ahead, write out what your mind should be doing. He said, borrow soundtrack ideas from businesses, from friends, from songs. He used an example. He was having a conversation a year or so ago with a friend about a missed opportunity And the friend asked him, you know, what would have happened if you had taken this opportunity? And in the end of that question, basically, he came to, if you had taken this opportunity and it had succeeded, would you have been more in connection to your ego or your heart? And so John Acuff took this as a soundtrack, like being connected to his heart versus his ego and helping him make decisions. And he has another one he has written on a sticky note near his desk that basically says, ask for more. Because he realized that in negotiations, he often undersold his value. And he knew this. And going into a negotiation, he needed a different soundtrack. And so it was ask for more. So they don't have to be these, you know, you don't need to recreate Nike. Mm. (laughs) Just Mm. do it. Borrow them. Mm. Find them in, in various places. He also then talked about the most common broken soundtracks that he is aware of. One would be, this should be faster, as though the speed that you're going is evidence of failure. So when people are talking about their weight loss, I only lost four pounds this month, or Mm, I only lost 30 pounds this year. It's going too slow, or my social media only has 26 followers so far. It's That message that it's too slow, we're using that as evidence that we're failing. Another common broken soundtrack is, who am I to do this? And he said, for example, the worst place for someone to work on writing their book is in a library (laughs) with a lot of books (laughs) where there's evidence of all these people who have already succeeded and who am I to write this book? So of course, this brings up the whole concept of imposter syndrome and interestingly, Jordan Harbinger shared that, you know, he's interviewed people, um, Oliver North, you know, you picture this strong leader who's led battles. And at times he said, yeah, I don't really feel like I belong here. I don't really know what I need to know. That that's a very universal theme. Then the third most common broken soundtrack he hears basically I shouldn't have any fear. If this is the right move for me or the right thing for me, I shouldn't have any fear about it. And he said instead, he tells himself, fear gets a voice, but it does not get a vote. And so it's natural to have fear, but we're not going to let fear kind of hold you back. Jordan Harbinger, after the interview, said another thing that helps him to recognize signs of overthinking is using words like always, never, Mm -hmm. impossible, Mm -hmm. inevitable. Those kind of all or nothing word choices help us know we're overthinking. And then I just wanted to add, I have not taken a look at these, but I think they might be worth looking into. In the show notes of the Jordan Harbinger show, he has exercises and worksheets from John Acuff's books. So if someone wasn't necessarily inspired to read the book, but wanted some tangible things to use to kind of work on this overthinking and rewriting their soundtracks, that there are some handouts available on those show notes. So my hope is that these are simple things that people can just start to pay attention to, listen for, Start watching places where you can grab some new soundtracks to really curate and make work for you.
1: Yes, because it's often a lot easier, isn't it, to see, to get inspired by something else, to get inspired by somebody's, somebody else's quote or whatever it is. So yes, I like that idea of just borrowing things that appeal to you. It's mm-hmm. not something that you have to feel the weight of having to create something mm-hmm. yourself. But I think that going right back to the very beginning, the bit that feels very key to me anyway, is right back at the beginning when you first mentioned soundtracks and asking what are your soundtracks and having that awareness. Because I think this is part of the problem with these soundtracks is that they're so well-worn, we're so used to listening to them we don't actually hear what they're mm-hmm. saying we don't hear the lyrics mm-hmm. and that's such an important first step isn't it actually being aware of exactly what's playing exactly mm-hmm. what we're saying to ourselves because often i think it's just this subconscious stream that just results in in feelings you know a feeling we have about ourselves without actually Uh, You mentioned another part, pulling that thread back to find out what we are actually. Because once you can name it, once you can write down what those things are, you can then start to pull it apart and to Mm. ask questions of it. and, And it's under the fire of those questions that quite often those beliefs we hold start falling apart. Especially, Mm -hmm. like you say, sometimes when they're really embedded, when we go and and talk to somebody else and get their opinion as well.
0: And a quick example I can think of with that is about a year and a half ago, someone said to me, Terry, I think we should do a podcast. (laughs) And I said, oh, Daisy, I can't do a podcast. And I probably had five reasons why that wasn't something I could do, wasn't qualified to do, didn't have the content or whatever. And it was in having that conversation with you that I had to start listening to what I was telling myself Mm. because it would have been much easier if you had just said, oh, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) I would have just stopped (laughs) and said, okay, see? Um, So having to look at what are those things beneath it that we're telling ourselves, I think is really important.
1: And I think it is quite often very difficult when it's something new that we want to do. Because you can start changing those soundtracks once you start to provide yourself with evidence that actually you can do it. (laughs) You know, once you've done one, once you've done the second one, once it it does start to get easier, doesn't it? And then you can build up the evidence.
0: Which is funny in this specific example. What evidence did I have at that time that was true about what I said? Mm, Exactly. Had I ever started a podcast before (laughs) no had I been a guest on one sure but you know I had no evidence to say those things were actually true Mm. but I was pulling from other I was extrapolating from other things telling me or old insecurities or beliefs telling me that it wasn't possible it wasn't a good idea
1: and of course it's a good illustration of how very differently somebody else sees it Mm -hmm. you know I knew that whatever you had to say people would find valuable because I'd found things you told me valuable. I found, you know, I got so much help from from things that you advised me with and and stories you shared with me. And you know, that as we've we've spoken about before, this is this is how the podcast started. Mm-hmm. But that's where it's important, isn't it? To talk to somebody else because mm-hmm. they see things very differently. And although it might be difficult at first to believe what they're saying, to see yourself through their eyes, you can start chipping away at those insecurities.
0: And probably also good reminder don't only run those things past someone who thinks just like you do, because they're going to <laughs> confirm. <laughs> they're going to confirm your negative soundtracks for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, so I think the big thing that I'm going to take away from this is really tuning into that soundtrack and listening to what's going around in my mind, rather than just accepting it, rather than just, you know, how you can sort of just, well, you can just kind of tune out sometimes when you're you're listening to music and you don't really listen to the lyrics, you're just listening to the overall feeling. And I think that's what can happen with these thoughts, with this soundtrack of thoughts going around in your mind. So... Um, yes, I think I'm going to be tuning in much better to hear exactly what's going on in that soundtrack. And then I can start unpicking it.
0: And you just reminded me of an old image I'm going to close out this episode with. And for those of you who know these, this will make sense. But Long time ago, there was a show, Allie McBeal. Oh, I used to love that. (laughs) She had this motto song running through her mind. Mm. And it made me think about a motto song running through my mind. And it was Katrina and the waves walking on sunshine. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you cannot have a bad day. You cannot feel bad about something. You can't think of limitations when in your mind, you're like, I'm walking <laughs> on sunshine <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey. and it feels good. Yeah. So choose a different soundtrack, everybody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Have a fantastic week. You
0: too, Daisy. Take care, everybody.